If you don't know me, my name is Eric Underwater. I am the intern, the infamous intern here at Grace Valley. You probably know the intern more than you know my real name. Um, I come here from the Canadian Reformed Seminary up the hill in Hamilton, and I'm here for the summer with uh, Paul. And here's an interesting tidbit for you. This will be my first time ever preaching in a church. Thank you. So be forgiving. So I'll, uh, I'll open the scripture with you today to uh, Hebrews 12, 1 through 2. It's uh, in your bulletin. <clears throat> Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses... Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our, of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And so, I think for the last couple of weeks, Paul's been preaching on objections to the Christian faith. Why do people not want to be a Christian? But now it's Membership Sunday. And now we're talking about people who are Christians, right? We received, I think, 30 people into our community. And so the question I want to look at today is, how do you stay a member? How do you endure to the end? And that's what this passage is about today. This passage is from a guy who's writing to a group of people in Roman times who weren't sure if they should persevere. They just didn't know. Life threw a lot at them. Life threw persecution, the ridicule of friends and family, poverty, discrimination, sometimes even certain death was thrown at these people, the original readers. And a big theme in this book is the writer is worried. He's worried that his people are going to retreat in the face of all this difficulty and opposition. And he's really worried. And so he writes a huge book of 13 chapters, or 14 chapters. Many of these people were, were starting to, to backslide. They were starting to say, oh, is this worth it? Should I really continue? You know? And so the, the writer to the heroes, he throws one last metaphor at, at his people. He says... This is a race, guys. This is going to be a race of endurance. It's not going to be easy. This is going to be something that you're going to have to run. And you're going to have to run hard. And you're going to have to run for a long time. This is going to be a marathon. And you can run it. And he, he goes through a few things as to why he thinks they can run and what they should do to persevere. And so he's trying to answer the question. This is the theme for today. This is what I'm trying to answer. How do you endure to the end as a Christian? How do you stay a Christian? And to fit with today, how do you stay a member? How do you not fall away? How do you do that? And so the writer to the Hebrews, he's going to give us a few things that, that Christians should do, and he's going to give us one big thing at the end. We'll get to that. But there's a few little things that are going to happen, pieces of advice that he has first. And the first thing, it's actually on your uh, bulletin, the first thing is 
to cast off every weight. This is the first insight. And if we read it in our text, um, it says this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw everything that hinders. Or if you read the ESV, let us lay aside every weight. Now, a bit of background on the witnesses. The witnesses are the people in the previous chapter, in Hebrews 11. These are the great heroes of the Christian faith in the Old Testament, the people that persevered through great difficulty. That's for the witnesses. I could write four sermons on that chapter, so I can't talk too much about it, fortunately. So the first piece of wisdom, lay aside every weight. What does that mean? Well, let's go back to the marathon runner. Let's say you're the marathon runner and you show up at the racetrack, and it's a cold day. And you come in your sweatpants, and you have your sweater and your coat, and you've probably brought your funky fruit, vegetable, kale, power protein drink, which I hate. But the, tem the temptation for the runner is to keep the pants and the jacket on, and he's tempted to put a, a backpack on, and he's tempted to put food in there, you know, his little power bars. The temptation for the runner on a cold day is to run with stuff on. But you and I have seen marathons on TV. Nobody runs with a backpack on in a marathon. It's 26 miles. You're not going to make it if you put a backpack on. The pants are going to start to stick to you. It's going to be awkward. You can't do it. And this is like the Christian life. The Christians have a never-ending temptation to take on weight, to take on burdens that they shouldn't carry. And I would argue that one of these weights, one of these things that slows us down is probably the North American dream. The North American dream is this idea that everyone should have the perfect house in the suburbs. Nice cars in the garage, the middle-class job, the perfect-looking spouse with the perfect children, the ride-on John Deere mower to mow the perfect dandelion-free yard, and a white picket fence. Right? We see this dream all the time. Oh, that's what life should be. And the question is, should dreams like do pursuit or does pursuing dreams like this crowd out Jesus? That's the question that the author wants to get at here. Is it a weight that just sort of slows you down as a Christian? You see, the runner's backpack, right, the, the, the bottle of water and the sweatpants, they're actually good things. They're not bad things. But if the runner keeps them on, he burdens himself. And it's, again, the North American dream isn't a bad thing. That's what the, the author wants to get through to us. The problem is when it slows us down. It distracts us from following Jesus and what he commands. And this is because things like the North American dream and other good dreams, like politics or their career or the traveling lifestyle or all these other good things that we love to do, the problem is that these things become so compelling to us that we sometimes forget to run at all. Following these dreams instead of Jesus Christ is like the marathon runner being tempted to stop in a little hipster coffee shop for his favorite venti, non-fat, double-shot, fair-trade goat milk latte. <laughs> and the kitschy little shop and its exotic Italian espresso becomes so distracting and mesmerizing that the whole concept of a marathon becomes impossible to believe. And let me say this to you. Is that you? Are you even running a race? 
Are you getting flabby in your race with Jesus? If the metaphor of a marathon doesn't resonate with some of you here, I'll challenge you on this. Maybe you need to search your heart if you maybe aren't stuck in that shop. If there are too many metaphors to the drink you're drinking. The problem with the coffee shop, again, is not that it's good. Lots of people make that mistake thinking we can't have good things. Sometimes good things are given by God. They're gifts. The problem is that no matter how good the coffee shop could be, it's only a pale imitation of the life we have with Jesus in heaven. Nothing in this life is worth losing sight of the goal of living with Jesus Christ in heaven for eternity. The life with Jesus is beautiful. Life with Jesus is a place where there will be no need for endurance, no pain and suffering, nothing more. And that's the real problem with the coffee shop. The problem with the coffee shop, the distraction, is that every good thing ends. So does the coffee shop. It closes. At some point, they kick you out. No matter how polite they are at first. Nothing in this life can satisfy like Jesus Christ. And when the good things end, like the North American dream, or maybe you've lost the North American dream and you had it and you know this, when the dream ends, when the dream stops providing, the pain and suffering that's endemic to this life always comes back. Always. That's why we need to get to the finish line, heaven, where the pain will end forever, where Jesus will provide every single thing we need. So this is, that's lesson number one. That's lesson number one about the Christian life from Hebrews. As good as the good things are, don't let them crowd Jesus out. Distract you from running the race. Don't let them weigh you down and slow you down so that you don't run anymore. Don't let them tell you that you don't need to run, that you don't need to live a life of endurance with Jesus, that life is good and that there are never bad things. Don't let them distract you. And so that's number one. Number two, lesson two is different but related. Lesson two is a warning about the power of sin. Let's go back to our, our passage and read what it says there. It says, if I have my bulletin... Um, let us lay aside every weight, that's the first thing, and the sin which clings so closely. It's the ESV. In a different Bible, it says, the sin that so easily ensnares us. And the word has this connotation of entangling, of entrapping, of ensnaring. It's like you're walking somewhere and you know, you're, you're almost tripping. You're getting tangled in weeds. And so, the writer to the Hebrew isn't just telling us that, you know, sin's bad, right? We know sin's bad. The whole Bible tells us that sin is bad. It's destructive. It corrupts us. It's pride. It's selfishness. It's rebellion. That's not really what the author's getting at, although that's part of it. But the author is trying to say something to us about what sin can do to us. He's trying to say a certain thing about sin. He's saying... There's an aspect of sin that's dangerous to the life of the Christian that's really its real problem. And this is the entrapping, entangling nature of sin, its ability to draw us away from God, its ability to draw us into the field, off the path. Because sin is never small. Even what we think are small sins aren't small. 
Sin is never about a little detour from the path. Sin is never innocent. In other words, sin is out to get us, to entangle us. It's there to master us, to own us. And sin hates it, and the devil hates it, that you're owned by Jesus. And it wants nothing more than to drag you away from him so that you don't run anymore. I have an illustration that maybe make this concrete. See, the runner is running along the path, and the path, of course, is the Christian life of holiness. And the runner's running along the path, and he says, and he, he runs past a canola field. <laughs> it's unusual, I'm sorry. If you know anything about a canola plant, its flowers flower brightly. You've probably seen images on, on TV or whatnot of a canola field. This is big, yellow field. They even grow it here in Ontario. Now, the thing about canola is if you think you can just run through that field, you're wrong. They seem very inviting, and it's tempting to walk through one, like in the movies where you want to walk through with your hands in the flowers, you know, that sort of image. See, and I've tried this. I've tried this. I've tried to just run through this beautiful-looking field. Well, there's a problem with trying to run through canola. If you, you cannot do it. The, the canola plant grows in like a tangle. It's all tangled. The whole field is one giant tangle of plants. And if you run in it, your feet get tangled. And there's nothing you can do about it. You think, oh, I'll run faster. I'll jump higher. You can't. It'll get you. I've tried it. And eventually, if you keep trying to run through the field, the plants tangle you and you fall. And it's kind of hard to get out. That's how sin works. That's what the author is trying to warn us about sin. He's saying sin will tempt you with those beautiful flowers. It'll tempt you with the promise of an easier life, of something good. But sin doesn't end that way, does it? It says, just walk across the field, Christian. It'll be fun. It'll be easier, right? You don't need to walk on the difficult path of holiness, do you? No. The Christian thinks that he can walk into the field of sin and right back out. There's a little detour. But it's not how it works. Think of a sin like pornography. Pornography never ends with one viewing, does it? It always pulls you back again and again. That's what it wants. And every time it pulls you back, it entangles you more. It begins to rewire the brain to desire ever more depraved and evil images. The more the brain is rewired to desire those things, the harder it is to stop. Just like the canola field. The further you go in, the more tangled you get. And sooner or later, you fall. And you get so tangled that you begin to see, why bother getting up? And at that point, the race is over. Sin begins to own you. The finish line, heaven, seems like an impossible dream. And while you're down, the insects begin to bite. Because here's the thing. Sin always ends in pain and suffering, no matter how beautiful it looks. And it's not just pornography. It, it, all sorts of sins do this. It's like the sin of comparing yourself to others, or the sin of living for the approval of others. It begins when you try to gain your self-confidence and contentment from comparing yourself 
to the people around you rather than looking to Jesus. You think to yourself, you know what? If only I was better than the person next to me or if only I could gain their approval, then, then I would be a happy person. This is something I think we all work through. But when you compare yourself to others rather than living for Jesus, sin begins to bite. Getting your confidence inevitable from others and their approval and comparing yourself to people who you think are better or worse than you inevitably leads to jealousy, envy, and discontentment. Because not only will there be someone worse to compare yourself to, but someone better. And there always, always is. And you compare yourself to the worst people by saying, well, at least I'm better. But the problem is that that fills you with pride. Ooh, look at me. And then when you see someone who's better than you, you say, you get jealous, insecure. It drags you down. And the more you live life according to that pattern, the more it sucks you in. And the more you just become dependent on other people, your insecurities claw away at you inside. And that's what sin wants. Sin wants you to live for anything but Jesus. It wants to own you. And it, wants to, and it doesn't just come at you in an instant. Right? The point is that sin is working at you slowly. It's trying to tangle you so that you fall. And it doesn't do so right away. It works hard for years. And for too many people... Sin gets them, and they choose sin over Jesus Christ. Not right away, but after years of dabbling with it. They think that they don't have the power. They get to a point where they fall, and they get to a point where they don't think that they have the power to fight back. They think, you know what, this sin is just me. It's going to have me. It's just the way it is. They resign themselves to it, thinking that there is no point in getting up to run the race again. Heaven seems impossible. But let me be very clear here to everyone here today. If this was you or is you, and you're fallen, or you're falling into sin, and sin is beginning to own you, know this. Know that the runner can always get back up. Sin does not need to own you. The runner can only get back up if someone is there to help him up. There is, and here's the great message of today. There is somebody who can help us back up. There's somebody out there who can free you from those entangling creepers who are constantly tangling you in your feet. Someone's there to guide you back to the path. Someone's there who can get you to the finish line. And that's the gospel right here. Christians endure because someone else ran the race first. Because someone completed the race perfectly. There's someone who never went off the path. There's someone who ran on this earth through the temptations, the difficulties, and the pain of this life. There's someone who did it for us already. That person is Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Through dependence on Him... Pornography and pride and every other sin on this earth doesn't have to rule us. It doesn't have to be the end. And I would say this. If the field or the coffee shop ever seemed tempting to us, it's probably because our eyes already wandered from Jesus. 
And here's the third point of the sermon. This is the, the conclusion. Let's read our text again. It's in your bulletin. The next line of, the, of our text goes like this. It says, Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. So not only do we avoid the good things and prevent them from distracting us, or we don't, we don't let the good things crowd us out, we avoid the, the power of sin, but we do that by looking to Jesus Christ. That's the secret. That's how the Christian perseveres. That's the secret to endurance. That's it. Now, remember something here very quickly. The point of this passage is not try as hard as you can. That may seem counterintuitive. Now, do try, of course. Christians need to work. But it's not really about our trying in the first place, is it? It's not really, that's not really the point. We do need to do that. The point isn't that we should become the greatest marathon runners the world has ever seen. That's not really what their author's trying to say. No, the point of this race, the key feature is that we keep our eyes on Jesus, on someone else as we run. It's not about you, it's about him. That's what the author's trying to get, get across. It's about looking to him for every single thing we need and looking to him for every situation of need. It's about casting every problem up to him. It's about seeking our security, our confidence, and our satisfaction in Jesus Christ. Now you're saying, well, I looked at Jesus, but it doesn't always work. It doesn't, it doesn't always... Now, our passage doesn't leave us just saying, look to Jesus for everything. Although I do think it's really that easy. Our passage actually gives us a little bit of information on how we look to Jesus and what we do to look to Jesus. And it suggests two ways that we look to Jesus and two ways in which Jesus will, looking to Jesus will lift us up and keep us on the path to heaven. This goes back to our passage again. This is the next line in our passage. Jesus is the perfecter and founder of our faith and who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of God. So there's two things that, that this passage is saying about what we do when we look to Jesus. Right? Jesus is the founder, the pioneer of our faith, and the perfecter. Right? That means that we look back. Right? That's the first thing. We look back into the word of God to see what Jesus already did for us. The founder of our faith, the beginner of our faith. He began our faith at the cross. And when we get busy with our Bibles, our Bibles tell us things about what Jesus did for us. This is, Jesus never wandered from the path. He lived the life we should have lived, and he died the death we should have died. He took on the punishment and pain that comes to those who walk off the path and get lost in the weeds. He was scourged by whips. He had nails hammered through his hands. He hung from a cross and drank of the pain that we deserve every single time we wander and flirt with sin. That's what our passage says. It says that he endured the cross. That's the first thing. We look backward to what Jesus did. And second, we look forward in prayer 
to the home that Jesus is preparing for us in heaven. Right? So the, you have what Jesus did in the past and what he's going to do for us in the future and is doing right now. So the Christian life is about looking to Jesus from the beginning to the end. And we're running in between these two points. What Jesus has prepared for us in heaven, what he did. And we're running in between right now. And so we read our word that tells us about what Jesus did and will do for us. And we pray constantly in hope to Jesus Christ who will bring us forward to the end. That's how we endure. That's it. That's what their passage says. That's the secret. There's nothing, really, I don't need to say that much more. That's all. Jesus is the answer. Look to him. Read about what he did. Put your hope in what he's going to do further for you. That's it. It's the gospel. And one more thing before I finish. It says also in this passage that Jesus sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He sat. There's no more running. Metaphorically, that means there's no more difficulty. There's no more pain. There's no more suffering. He's done. It means that there will be a time when we get to sit in heaven. We get to sit and relax for real. Finally, for real. And the fact that Jesus sits at the right hand of God means that he is the organizer of the race. He's the sovereign ruler over all things. He has absolute power to ensure that every single one of his runners will make it. Because he's the boss. He's in charge. This isn't a race run by other people. This is a race run by Jesus. So, let me answer the question. How do Christians endure? How do we stay members? How do we not fall away? What do we do? How will you endure? How will all of us together endure to the end? We will endure by looking to our Savior Jesus Christ for everything. Not by looking to the good things in life or being tempted by the bad things. Look away from those things and look to Jesus. By his power, you can be absolutely sure that you will endure. In fact, more than that, you can live with a great and vivid joy that your security, your salvation, your confidence doesn't depend on you. It depends on someone else, your Lord. His sacrifice made it possible. And he sits in a place that makes it sure. Amen. Let me pray. Lord, we pray to you at the end of this sermon, near the end of this service. We pray to you and we glorify your name, Lord. Today you've given us 30 new members. You've given us 30 people who are committed to serving you. You've given their lives and who vowed to do so. Lord, that's a gift. That is not something that happened because we're such great people. Because we're not. We're sinners. It happened because of what you did on the cross thousands of years ago. And here we sit in the middle of a great age, the age between the cross and the age between the second coming of Jesus Christ. And the fact is that this particular time in history is actually quite hard. And that's the, the metaphor of the marathon is about an illustration of the challenge, the difficulty, the pain that this life has. 
The sprinting from the cross to heaven is a sprint, and it requires great exertion and great strength and great power. And the fact is that most of us spend most of our time straying off this path, being stuck in, in the weeds or being distracted in the good things along the way, the good things that will end. Lord, we ask for your blessing. We ask for your strength because we need it, because we don't have it. And we look to you to provide for us and to assure us that we will indeed endure, that we will endure to the end. And Lord, we pray that all these members may be a great blessing to this community and that you may fill them with the Spirit so that they may be the kind of people who are pillars of the community, people that we depend on, people that we rely on to spread the gospel. And Lord, forgive us for whatever sins we've committed and bless us all as we go from here. This we ask. Amen.